Hello, thanks for checking out Covenant's podcast. Our prayer is that God uses this message to impact your life. Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, church. Uh, you know what, I, I just want to say, you know, Covenant Church, you know, thank you so much for that encouragement. Um, you know, just thinking um, of this week, you know, and um, what this, even this time this morning looks like. You know, I was going to say, even with the feedback in the mic, you know, <laughs> that Six years ago, this Sunday, we stood up on stage and we prayed and it was a packed house and there were tears all over the place and we celebrated something that God was doing. And he was at the center of that. And I remember six years ago, like that, this was the send off to go to the surgery and I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. You know, even before that, right? Like they tell you everything that could go wrong if anyone's ever had surgery, even if they're like cutting a nail, they're like, you could die. And so I was in that situation, like just going, Lord, like this. And I remember when I walked out of that surgery and this was something that the Lord spoke to me, it was that I knew how to walk. I knew I had the knowledge of how to walk. I knew how to run, I knew how to dance, but I couldn't. And if anyone has ever had surgery, you know that your mind knows what to do, but because of what you've been through, they tell you to take it a, a step at a time, a day at a time, because your body has gone through so much. And Church Covenant Church, there's no denying that we've gone through so much. And last week you said goodbye to a pastor who led us for 18 years. And today we'll look a little bit maybe wobbly, <laughs> maybe weird, might be some feedback on the mic, sorry guys. But there might be something in that where it's like, hey, this is the first step of many steps. But what we celebrate is the hope that someday we'll be running, someday our morning will be dancing, someday we'll be leaping for joy again because Christ is our hope. Christ is our hope. And as long as Christ is at work, amen. Those things will happen again as long as we cling on to him. That's why this morning the title of my message is, We Can't Do This, But Jesus Can. We can't do this, but Jesus can. And we're carrying on in the series that we were in, in Philippians, Unshakable Joy. And we are going and diving right back into Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be reading from verses 10 to 13. And we're going to look at this passage of scripture and see that Paul is going to unpack that we cannot do it, but Jesus can. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, right off the, the bat, you, you know that you've been trying to do something in your own strength and you have failed. And even in the last six months, it's, it's become more apparent how weak you are and how much you need Jesus. We can't do it. He can. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 4. We're going to read from verses 10, 10 to 13. It says, How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. 
I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Powerful. That's the coffee cup verse of the year, right? That's the, that's the t-shirt. We're wearing that. That's the verse you find everywhere. That's the verse that you hear uh, before the Super Bowl and, you know, before a college ball and Tim Tebow is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we look at that passage of scripture and obviously time and time again as we've unpacked this passage over the years, I've heard it said, that is not what it means. That's not what Paul is saying. So let's find out what Paul is saying in this passage of scripture. At the beginning of Philippians chapter 4, um, we preached that, I think, our second week in this building, right? Who remembers that? It's, it's like nine years ago. No, eight months ago. We were in this building. It was the first week, uh, second weekend, and I got to preach a passage um, called What We Are Known For, and it was the first nine verses of Philippians chapter, chapter 4, and we went through and unpacked um, this, this love that Paul had for this church in Philippi. He says, you're my crown and joy. I love you in verse 1 he says these guys I love them they're my crown and joy and then he goes into verse 2 and he says okay so please help them stop fighting with uh, Yodia and Sintiki they're two women in the church who are fighting and on in verse 1 he says I love them but verse 2 he says hey they're not perfect I'll say that the enemy of contentment is the quest for perfection the perfect whatever if we're looking for the perfect marriage, you're going to be discontent in your marriage. Amen? I love counseling young couples before they, you know, premarital, and it's, it's awesome. It's the best time. But I know that when I got married, day three of the honeymoon, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be perfect. <laughs> well, my wife found out. <laughs> the reality is the perfect whatever, perfect marriage, perfect house, and then you watch Selling Sunset, and you're like, okay, we got to start again. Or, you, or you're looking for the perfect church. <laughs> that doesn't last, right? Because we know that there is no perfection if it is not rooted in Christ. Nothing is perfect. He is the one who's perfect. So Paul sets this up in this chapter for by saying that he's not even loving this church because of their perfection and then he's and then he unpacks this in in verse 10 to 13 that we just read that hey i have learned something and it's the secret to being content when i look through the bible we find that you don't have to get very far to find how discontentment was the pathway and the doorway for sin to enter this world adam and eve had everything everything but it was discontentment even with everything and that was the pathway sin entered this world but the good thing about this passage of scripture is that the secret that paul has learned is easy i'll give it to you right now at the beginning of the sermon it's jesus 
The secret is Jesus. Easiest sermon I've ever preached. Ben, come back. Let's play. Let's go home. Right? It's over. The secret is Jesus. The secret is Jesus. He has found that the, the, the way to contentment is to cling on to Christ because the Christian life is impossible. There's nothing we can do without Jesus. That is the whole, that is the whole thing in this passage of Scripture. Everything that you do, there is no way you can do it without Jesus. You need Christ in every situation, in every battle, in everything that you go after. You need Jesus. And you, the only way you can be content is if you have and you're clinging on to Christ. David Platt puts it this way. He says, contentment is the sweet inward state of perpetual joy, peace, gentleness, and strength in every moment, regardless of our circumstance. Can you have sweet, inward, perpetual joy, peace, gentleness, and strength in every moment? Anyone doing that? The show of hands? You got next week if you've got that. <laughs> the reality is, you can't have that without Christ. You can't have that without Christ. So Paul starts here, and he says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And the reality of that, he's saying, I can do everything as long as Jesus is in control, as long as Jesus is doing the work. So once again, church, he doesn't mean I can drive with my eyes closed on 611 through Christ who strengthens me. But what does he mean? In the first part here, we find that Paul says he praises the Lord that you're concerned about me again. He praises God for their concern. Paul is in prison. That's the backstory to Philippians. He's in prison. He's in captivity. He has no freedom. And yet, in his, in his, in his, in his prison state, he can find it to praise God, to continue to praise. I love that Rob came up here, and the song that we sang to start was, was all about unconditional praise to God. This is not circumstantial. That our praise to him is not because he's doing good things for us. Our praise to God is not not just because life is hunky-dory. The reality is that Paul is going to be in prison praising God regardless of his circumstance. And, and another thing that we need to focus in and zoom in on here is that the, the church in Philippi has brought him a gift. And Paul's first response to the gift that they brought to him was, I praise God. He's not praising the church in Philippi. He says, I praise God that you have renewed your concern for me. And that is Christ being enough in every situation. Church, when we are in the posture of that, in every situation, I give God praise because he has always been enough. He has never been lacking. Even if it's horrible, even if it's dark, even if it's difficult, he is enough. He is absolutely enough. Everything I get comes from him. Everything I have comes from him. So whenever I get something, Something, the first response is always praise Jesus. Doesn't matter who brought it to you. Paul says, I praise God that you renewed your concern for me. Christ is enough for him. It's the first point to his heart of contentment is that he is always looking upward. He is always looking at who his ultimate provider is. 
and not looking here. Because when we look here, discontentment can creep in. But when we're always looking up, we're content in him. And we know that he's enough. I love that Paul is so savage because in this passage of scripture, he says this. He says, I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. Can you imagine that? Epaphroditus has just gone 800 miles with whatever this care package for Paul in prison. He lands there, and as Paul pins the thank you letter, he says, hey, guys, I praise God for your concern for me, uh, that you're concerned for me again. He puts it in there, like Paul backspace. You don't have to point out that they forgot you. And then the next line he says, but I want you to know I was good. And we'll find out next week that the church in Philippi were the only people who supported Paul. Can you imagine that? Telling your only donors who have seen your need, you're in prison, and your thank you note says, hey guys, thanks for the gift, but I was good. I'm like, Paul, have some thank you note etiquette. You don't say that, but he's good. And he tells them, I'm good, with or without your gift. Can you imagine? August 24th, 2014, Covenant Church, you know what? Thank you so much for a quarter of a million dollars. Michael would tell, where you at? Thanks so much for the kidney, but I'm good. And that service would have been, oh, that's, that was weird. That was definitely weird. Must be Zimbabwean. And the reality is that in this passage, Paul is saying, I am good, I was good, as long as I had Christ, because he's enough for me. He's enough for me. Church, this is the meat of Christian maturity. We're all in different places. But I tell you where we're headed to as Christians is the place where we can say, no matter the circumstance, I'm good. Has anyone seen their life progress that way? That there were things that you thought you couldn't live without? There were things that you thought you were not good without. But as you mature in Jesus, as Jesus becomes all-sufficient, as you fall in love with Christ, his presence, living for him, when that consumes you, all of a sudden that thing that you thought you weren't good good without, you're in a more dire situation and you're like, I kind of feel like I'm good. I feel like I've grown. I trust him. And that's where we're headed to. As Christians, we're headed into the place where we can not only just sing, Christ is enough for me, but we can live it. I love that song. I know we love that song. I know we love that song because I look around when the swell starts and it's like, I have decided. It's the, it's the most rowdy covenant church ever gets. I start going, oh my goodness. Who le-? It's like we're at a techno. It's like people are in there. And then it's like, and then that comes back and the drums stop and it's like Christ is enough for me and it's like yeah we love it but church it's more than words is Christ enough for you is Christ enough for you because church we do not say my spouse is enough for me because that's not true we don't say my health is enough for me because that's not true we don't say my bank account is enough for me The economy is enough for me. We say Christ is enough for me. So Paul understands this. And he says he's good. 
And the church in Philippi, the church in Philippi, their partners in the gospel with Paul. Church, I'll say this. The outworking of contentment in our lives is we praise, we praise God, we have gratitude in our hearts for who God is. We're generous, we're thankful, and we're not entitled. Because the opposite of contentment is entitlement. Discontentment breeds entitlement, and Paul has none of that. He says, I'm good with whatever Jesus has given me. And then we see here, verse 11 to 12, it says that, It says this, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I know how to live with almost nothing and with everything. And he says, for I have learned the secret to being content. So church, I'm going to put it to you this way. Our default setting is discontent. Our fallen sinful nature is discontent. And so we have to learn how to be content. It is something that we learn. Because Paul says here that he's learned the secret. It means that it's not just readily available. It means that there's there's a password to this. You know, this, this last week, you know, we've been indoors for so long like it feels like ages and so my daughter comes up to me this last week she comes up to me and she says dad i know how to get into your phone and i know how to get into your ipad i was like what and i'm thinking to myself man that thing has an encrypted algorithm that i thought through these numbers backwards forwards it's like there's no way this little six-year-old knows how to get into my ipad and then i was like show me and she grabs the ipad and she's like do 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 unlock i was like what like you know the fear struck my heart it's like my daughter either has a future in cybersecurity or she's going to be swiping credit cards. Only two pathways you can go from there. But the reality, I was like, how did you know? And she says, I've been watching you. <laughs> I mean, that's for a six-year-old, that's wild. I'm like, what is she doing? Like, okay, zero, let's go. And she just keeps that number in the back pocket. I'm like, how do you know this? And so I went and I changed every password, Grubhub account, my DoorDash, my Uber Eats, everything, my email. Because when a six-year-old can hack into your stuff, you are vulnerable on the net. So I I just said, I'm going to start again. But the reality is she was learning. She was watching. And that's how we get, that's how we learn the secret of contentment. That's how we learn it. We, if, we, if we're to be content, we need to watch carefully how Jesus lived, who Jesus is. We need to follow closely. We need to learn the secrets. Because that's how we become content. We watch the life of our master, Jesus Christ. We stay in the word. We cling on to him in prayer. And we start to say, I want to live the way you lived. I want to care about the things you cared about. Then I will be content. I love that when we are clinging on to Jesus, we understand exactly what it is that makes him tick, that makes him, the, that makes him who he is. The disciples, that's why the disciples, everyone else could have asked Jesus if they saw him from arm's length, they would have been like, teach me how to do a miracle. 
But what did the disciples ask Jesus? Teach us how to pray. Because they were watching his life. They were like, everything you do seems to come out of this place. Church, when we cling on to Christ, when we move in, and that's what Paul says, and that's who Paul is. And so, so church, for us to find this life where we are not full of discontentment, we have to cling on to Christ. But as Christians, at times we are some of the most discontent people on this planet, right? Because Jesus is in the wrong place in our lives. I thought about this church and I was thinking about Christianity and I was like, I think some of, some of the, the, the fault in me and in many is that we think that being a Christian is, if our life was a car, we think that being a Christian is having Jesus somewhere in the car. He's with us somewhere. I'm a Christian because Jesus is with me. But for some people, Jesus is in the trunk and he's just muffled sounds. They're like, ah, Jesus is with me. Where is he? He's in the trunk. I keep him there. Sometimes we pop him out and we say, hey, are we on the... For some, he's in the booster seat at the back. It's okay, Jesus. I know what I'm doing. I'm driving. And my very favorite, Jesus is in the passenger's side and you're driving and sometimes you pull a carry Underwood when you're in dire situations and you're like, Jesus, take the wheel. When I listen to that song, I'm like, Carrie Underwood, what were you doing holding it in the first place? Christianity is, we are in the car. Jesus is driving. He makes a left and we're like, oh, so is this where we're going? Absolutely. I'm in control. And the reality is when Jesus is steering our lives, he is driving us toward contentment. He is driving our hearts, our lives, our our being toward that thing that makes you content. Because when we drive ourselves, we're driving ourselves away from that. So when Jesus is in control, we learn, we allow Jesus to lead, we learn from him. And we are not discontent. I've always wondered in this passage of scripture, why does Paul say, I've learned to be content with nothing and with everything. I understand discontentment with nothing. We get that, right? When things are taken away, amen, church? We understand that can breed this discontentment. That can make us, that can, that, that can make us feel like we don't have enough because we don't have enough. But why does he say with everything? Why does he say with everything? You know what, church, I find that, like I said in the beginning, I would easily say, easily, seven out of ten of the commandments are directly driven by you're not content with what you have. Easily. Just face value. Our hearts not being content is what opens us up to murder, greed, adultery, whatever it is. We're not content with what we have. Worshipping idols, we're not content with who God is. And discontentment comes from that place. Adam and Eve, like I said to start, had everything, church, and they were discontent. And so I know that 
even in this passage of scripture, I would be amiss if I didn't say, church, that we need to be on guard of the things that rob us out of being content. We need to be on guard for the things that rob us from being content, and one of those things is excess. One of that, those things is having everything. One of those things is, is, is just having so much choice. You know, right now, church, I don't know how many times I have been content in a situation, right? Until because of choice and because of so much exposure and because of everything at my fingertips, someone just says, hey, listen, are you really happy? <laughs> it's like I was happy, I think. Like, have you, have you, I want to open your eyes. That's what the serpent does to, to Eve in the garden. Hey, is God really giving you a good deal? Now he's just afraid that you'll open your eyes and see how much more you can have. And now church, if Facebook has a theme, I would say it's, hey, let me open your eyes. Have you thought about this? Anyone seen that? It's like, I want to help you and I want to open your eyes to this thing that will bring discontentment in your life. Anyone feel that? Every advert on TV, is that not their premise? Right? Colgate. <laughs> Why don't you just brush your teeth and this is what your life will look like? Why is it not just some guy with broccoli in their teeth just brushing? Why do they offer so much more? Why is there a model that comes in and says, because you use Colgate, I'm now with you. It's not true. It's offering so much more. You need more than you have. And so we find here content, content, choice, choice. We find ourselves wasting our time because we're inundated with options of discontentment. So church, if there's anything that I can tell you Jesus is not leading us to, he's not leading us to the place where we are filled with things that expose us to discontentment. And if there's that cause discontentment in our heart, we need to learn. Some of you, it's what you watch, not telling you what to watch, but some of you, that's where it comes. For some of you, it's Instagram. Transformation Tuesday, not a good day for you. Like, ah, oh, why can't I have that? Why can't my husband be like that? Why can't my life be like that? Discontentment. You often have too much in the room, church. I remember hearing Francis Chan say this, because we're not immune to this in the church. He said in China, when he goes to do ministry in China, and he tells them that people left his church. He said, people left my church to go to another church. And the Christians in China were like, wait a minute. They, they're people who leave churches to go to other churches. It's like, how? It's like they have choice. And they couldn't understand how you could even do that. They were just like, if I'm in this church, I'm stuck with these people, and hey, we've got to wrestle this thing out together forever. <laughs> Can you imagine that? It would be so weird. It would be crazy. 
<laughs> what songs are we going to sing? Can you imagine? It would be wild, but it would be awesome, but it would be wild. And the reality is that that choice, that choice. And so church, our, our state of trusting Christ, it will be tested. It will be tested. And right now we're going through a test. Is Christ enough for you? Are you content? It will be tested. And our faith is being tested. And this is the time where we see, like, is Jesus enough for me? And many will find themselves going, yes, Jesus, I struggled in the beginning. I wrestled in the beginning. But I'm finding that through this mess, through this darkness, through this difficulty, you are enough. Some of you are finding out, I can't believe that his word is true. He says, my grace is sufficient. And I know I should be drowning because four years ago, I was drowning in a lesser situation. But Christ, you seem to be enough in this moment. I can't believe that your word is so true, that you're so faithful. You've been surprised by the sufficiency of Christ in your moment of grief, in your darkness, in your difficulty. You're like, I should be whimpering. But Lord, it looks like I'm becoming bolder in you. I can't believe it. You are sufficient. You're enough in this moment. That's why 2 Corinthians says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus says, when you are in a weak situation, that's when you see that I am powerful. When you are overwhelmed, that's when you can see that I can carry the burden. When you have lost, that's when you can see that I am the provider. When you are sick, that's when you can see that I am healer. And that is the state of our hearts, church, that when we are in dire situations, we find out that we can't do it. Jesus can. We find out I was always weak. I was trusting in things that, would, that could never hold this weight. But do you know who can? Jesus. Christ is enough. Jesus can carry it. And so church, this morning, as I conclude, I want to ask you a question. In this season, what is weighing you down? In this season, what is it that is bringing discontentment to you? What is it that's keeping you up at night? I read Pastor Rob's blog the other day, and I was like, I was like so encouraged. I was like, there is so much when you look at those numbers and statistics and percentages of all that is going up and up and up. That is very real. This passage of Scripture is not saying, hey, this stuff isn't real. It's real. But is it just weighing you down because you are carrying it on your own or are you giving it to Christ it is the only place we can take our burdens it is the only place we can take the things that weigh us down and church do not believe the lie that godliness is just going through it don't believe the lie that being godly is just being tough enough to just wrestle through it because that's what it's like to be a Christian don't believe that lie Mark 15, Jesus is on his way to Golgotha and he comes out with a 300-pound cross after being beaten, dehydrated, hungry, tortured. And he's carrying this 300-pound cross 
the physical weight of sin. And here we go, the physical weight of the cross, but he's also carrying the spiritual weight of sin. He's burdened, overwhelmed. And I read Mark 15 over and over again because the soldiers shove this guy, Simon of Cyrene, and they tell Simon, help him carry the cross. And Simon helps Jesus carry that weight. Jesus, God in the flesh. Simon helps Jesus carry the weight. There's nothing ungodly about saying, I cannot carry that weight. There's nothing spiritual about carrying it on your own. Because even Jesus in that moment, as I prayed and I asked, Lord, what are you trying to show us here? Here we go. My son, his example, you watch him push the pin code and you learn what it looks like to follow him. Learn what it looks like when you have a heavy burden. Trust that there are people who will carry it with you. And that's why we're in this church. And that's why we're a community of followers of Christ. That's why we're in this together to encourage one another in this season. Some of us, it's heavy. Some of us, we don't know what to do with tomorrow. Some of us, we're overwhelmed. Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us, we can't take another day in the situation that we're in. Some of us, it's daunting to think that you're going to have to cyber school for a few more months. Some of you, it's... It's the pressure of the community telling you you need to go and open up the school. Everyone is in this body, part of the same family, with the same master. And what we are meant to do for each other is to say, you cannot do it on your own. You cannot carry the weight. Give it to God. I will come. We'll walk together. Because Jesus is all sufficient. He is enough. Let us not carry it by ourselves. Let us give it to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for who you are. Father, even in this moment, Lord, some of us feel like we're carrying heavy burdens. We're carrying weight that we could never, ever shoulder. Father, in this moment, we release it to you. We ask that you take it on, Lord. I pray, Father, that in this season, you'll show your strength in our weakness. And you'll show that you are absolutely enough, more than enough. In Jesus' name.